0: You're listening to The Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We are in the middle of a sermon series on... Genesis. And when I say in the middle, we've done, this is the ninth one. You all are troopers. So we are in the middle. This is chapter 22 of 50, but I just skipped like 10 chapters. So you guys are, and by skipped, I mean, I'm going to give you a 15 minute overview of those today. So (laughs) We're doing Genesis, the story of Genesis. We are going back to the beginning, the first book of the Bible, because there's so much here that lays a foundation for everything else that's going on in the rest of Scripture. This really does play an important role. Um, And and a quick summary of where we've been so far, we've done Genesis 1 through 12, and really you see the, the downfall of humanity, the spiraling of humanity down to its lowest point, and then you see last week we talked about God's salvation plan. Coming through this family, Abraham and Sarah, these nobodies from nowhere, God decides this is going to be the salvation plan. And from him, a great nation will occur. And from that great nation, our Savior Jesus will rise. We are going to continue in the story of Abraham and Sarah for the time being, but this really wraps it up. So I just took uh, maybe 12 chapters and we're condensing it into two weeks. Uh, Abraham is so important. To our faith and to the Jewish faith and even to the Muslim faith, Um, I really do encourage you to go back and read it. It is power-packed with lots of stuff, but that's what we're doing. If you have any questions for today, feel free to send those. I have uh, my phone. If you have any questions, I'll be happy to take a look. If I don't know, I will let you know. If I do know, we'll do our best to answer those, and I'll try to give you a heads up at the end when we're getting close to that. That'll be on the bottom of each screen in case you need it or it's in your bulletin. But I really want to get our mind jogged around the idea of tests. We're talking about tests today. Uh, And maybe I'm asking you in the beginning, is, is there a time where you felt tested by God? You felt like the Lord was testing you. I don't know if these experiences that I went through were tests, but they felt testing. There was the time where I was trying to decide which school to go to, and and it wasn't that school was necessarily all that important, but it was the first time that Aaron and I were moving away from home. It was going to be disruption to the family. It was going to be... We'd never lived outside of our beautiful Orville community. Um, We had never gone out on our own, and we owned a beautiful home here, and we were leaving all that behind. There was just so much about it that felt so heavy and so weighty, and we went and visited, and we prayed and prayed and prayed, and we really spent dedicated time together in the evenings and praying, and and, and the story about that is is that on the first night of Lent on Ash Wednesday, we started a devotional series together and prayed, and Erin had a dream, and her dream was that, that we were supposed to go to the place that she didn't want to go, and that felt like confirmation, because you think you would have a dream, that, and it was really a confirmation, and it, it was a big decision, but we felt the weight of this. We were moving our family. We had our firstborn child. That was the second test, was that there was a night where we thought Aaron was losing our first pregnancy. We thought there was a night where, where Titus was going to be lost, and I remember being up all night, crying out to God, and saying the things that I never thought I would say to God. And it felt like I was being tested. I don't know if the Lord was intentionally testing me, but one of the hardest nights of my life. So I'm asking you as we head into today, are there times where you feel like God has tested you or is testing you? I ask that because Abraham and Sarah famously goes, they go through 10 tests. This is what the Hebrew scriptures tell us. This is what the Hebrew rabbis tell us. They go through famously 10 tests and Abraham almost passes all of them. (laughs) That's close. Until the last one, which is the one we're going to talk about today. But he almost passes all of them. Every single time it looks like he's being faithful and it looks like he's being obedient, but there's always something in the story that lets you know that he's hedging his bets, that he's not quite passing this test. Here are those tests from all 12 chapters that we're skipping. (laughs) The first one we talked about last week, he's supposed to leave his homeland. It says specifically that he's supposed to leave his father's house. And the biblical text is very clear. It lists the members of his father's house. And it says uh, that Abraham left just as the Lord told him, and he brought Lot. That's the first. Just hedged his bet a little bit. He left his father. He left the land that he knew for the land that God would show him. And, but he brought Lot with him, his nephew from his father's house. Uh, the next one is that as soon as he gets to the promised land, this is just a couple verses later. As soon as he gets to the place where God was showing him, a famine strikes the land and he leaves. Like as soon as he gets to where God, he just immediately goes away. Then he stays in Egypt and And this happens multiple times actually happens three times between him and his son two times with abraham alone he was like listen honey you are so beautiful they are going to kill me this is how beautiful you are i need you to lie to everybody and tell tell them that you're my brother i'm going to tell them that you're my sister and it's a half lie because they have the same dad and different moms it's a different time y'all it's a different time it's a different time It's a half lie because they never reveal the truth. They're married. uh, And so he gets to Egypt and they're like, Sarah is so beautiful. Pharaoh needs her for his wife. And he goes, well, she's my sister. Go ahead. (laughs) And Pharaoh takes her as his wife and then Pharaoh has a dream that he's about to get his power taken from him and his place destroyed. And they bring Sarah back out and they say, what have you done to us? These pagan kings end up looking more faithful in the story than Abraham, the person of promise. By the way, this happens again. Abraham has to go to war and risk his life and put the salvation plan on hold because he brought his nephew Lot and Lot got into some trouble. And really, one of the stories with Lot is that they they increase so much in, in cattle and goats and sheep and people that Abraham goes to Lot and he says, hey, uh, we can't graze together. There's too much of this. You pick a direction and I'll go the opposite direction. So Abraham lets Lot pick the direction and not God. It's, It's wild and Lot goes, there's a city over there, Sodom and Gomorrah. Things are thriving. I'm gonna go that way. And so he takes the best and the choicest land and no one's praying at all. Like, what does God want Abraham to do? This is the salvation plan. And Abraham's like, I guess I'll just go the opposite way. And then Lot gets himself into all kinds of trouble. He gets caught up in this war and Abraham has to save him. And then we'll see with Sodom and Gomorrah, famously, you know, the situation. Abraham is told that he will have many kids and become a great nation. And he sleeps with his servant Hagar famously. They don't believe the promise that they'll become a great nation, so they take things into their own hands, and he tries to have a child with not Sarah, with not the wife of promise. Uh, Six, Uh, the next chapter, a son is prophesied, named Isaac, and God says, you have to Get circumcised even though you're a hundred years old. And he does it. He does the circumcision thing. Everyone in his whole house, all his servants, his children, himself, he is faithful to that. But when he's told that he's gonna have his own son, he laughs. Sarah laughs too. God shows up again and says, You are going to have a son next year, named Isaac. And Sarah laughs. That's what Isaac means. She laughs. And then God says, did you just laugh? And she was like, no, definitely 100% not. And he was like, yes, you did. <laughs> and Abraham begs, and because he now he has this son by this servant named Hagar, and he begs, he says, God, could you just accept Ishmael, my son that's not from Sarah? And God says, no, I got a plan. It's through Sarah. She's the wife of promise. So there's always this lack of faith. But always this moving forward, there's a a hedging of bets. There's a trying to do things in your own power, even though you have this divine promise. And then as soon as God says, you're going to have a son next year named Isaac, God said, actually, I was on my way to destroy the city complex called Sodom and Gomorrah because the cries of injustice have reached my ears. And there are so many people that are being oppressed. And this is important to our text today. Abraham begs God not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And we see God relent. God answers Abraham's prayers. Abraham says, what if there's 50 righteous people there? Are you gonna destroy it? And God says, no, I guess not. He says, what about 45? God says, I guess not. What about 30? I guess not. What about 20? No, I will not destroy it if there are 20 righteous people to be found. Abraham says, what if there are ten righteous people in this place? And God says, no, I will not destroy this place. And it stops right there. And the Hebrew rabbis tell us, because the next question is, what if there's one righteous person? And the imagined conversation, it's not in the Bible, from the rabbis, is then God would say, who did you have in mind? The righteous one. And he says to go, well, I brought my nephew Lot. And God says to go, I told you not to bring anybody. (laughs) And so God, I mean, Abraham is pleading, crying out prayer, really is a picture of prayer for this city. But ultimately, it's not for the city's sake, it's for his nephew's sake, whom he was not supposed to bring in the first place. Number nine, he goes to a place called Gerar. And again, a king comes out and says, this is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen we must have her as a wife. Is she your wife? And he's like, absolutely not. 100% my sister. (laughs) Go ahead. And his name is, somebody help me out here? The king of uh, 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 Abimelech. Abimelech takes Sarah into his household, but he does not make her his wife. Um, (sighs) And, and he then gets a dream from God, and God says, I will destroy your whole kingdom if you touch this woman. And he's like, I didn't know. They lied to me. The king, this pagan king who does not know God, who does not fear God in any ways, looks more faithful in the story than our beloved Abraham and Sarah. And then we get to the tenth story, and that's today's text. It is one of the most well-known, beautiful And yet one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture. You do not have to like it. In fact, I think on purpose you're not supposed to. But it is very formative. It is one of the most uh, important passages in all of Scripture. So important that it gets its own name. It's called the Akedah in the Hebrew. Uh, It's Abraham and the binding of Isaac. Akedah means the binding. This is how important this story is. It's beautiful, it's harrowing, uh, the, the, the story doesn't give us very many details, but it keeps the pace going. Very interesting. Here's our story. It's in, from Genesis 22, 1 through 14, but today we're going to do it a little bit different. Instead of reading the whole story, we're going to read parts of it and get to our points so you know how I preach. If you don't, I preach head, heart, hands, something for us to know, something for us to feel or experience, or something about our identity, and something for us to do with the story. And so here's the first part of the story. After all these events, God tested Abraham. So right away, the story is going to be horrific. But the narrator lets us off the hook. God does not plan to go through with this plan. We get let out. I don't know if that makes the story better for us, but it sure lets us know that God is, has good intentions in this. this. This story is about testing the testing of Abraham. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham answered, I'm here. This is one of the most faithful responses you can give in scripture. I'm here. All the faithful saints say, I'm here when God speaks to them or here I am. God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, not his only son. He has other sons, Ishmael being the one, but this, (laughs) what this text is saying is this is the son of promise. This is the one through whom God had promised to make a great nation and save the world. Your only begotten son. It's the same language that we get from Jesus as the only begotten son of God, the monogenous, only begotten. Take your son, the one that you love, your only son, and go to the land of Moriah. No one knows where Moriah mean, is. Moriah means seen by the Lord. That's what it means. Offer him up as an entirely burned offering there, your son, on one of the mountains that I will show you. Abraham got up early in the morning, harnessed his donkey, and took his two young men with him. Together with his son Isaac, he split the wood for the entirely burned offering. He set out and went to the place God had described to him. There's so much going on here that I'm not even going to get to in, in, in my points, but I have to point them out. This is usually, young men is usually translated servants, but the reason why the text has a hard time calling them servants is because they don't do anything. Abraham does everything. He gets up, he splits the wood, he harnesses the donkey, he's doing it. So why do you have servants? If they're not doing anything, you should be thinking about that. I'm not going to bring it up, though. Um, Whenever I see this story portrayed on film or TV, God says, you have to go sacrifice your son. You have to kill your son. And they always have Abraham falling down, crying, wailing, no, God, please don't. The text does not do that at all. That's why it always drives me wild. It makes me upset because the point of the text is that Abraham is going to pass this test. So Abraham doesn't cry out for his son like he does with Sodom and Gomorrah or like he does for Ishmael. It says he got up early the next morning like, if I had to go kill my child, I'd be like, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to sleep for a couple days. Early the next morning. He didn't wait for his servants to do anything, he did it all himself. He's chopping wood, he's harnessing donkeys, he's ready to go. He's not weeping and wailing and begging. He's, he's, Let's go. This is a picture of Abraham's faithfulness. He has come to the tenth test and he's going to pass it, he's going to redeem all the rest of his failures but it is such a juxtaposition. It's such a sharp contrast. The hardest test is the one he's going to be most faithful to. Gets up early. He goes. So what does God want us to know? This is what I took away from it. There's lots of lessons to take away from it, but here's what I think God wants us to know. There will be tests, and the tests are to help us connect to God. There will be tests. You are going to be tested, but tests help us get connected to God. After these events... God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, there will be tests. This is what our Jewish cousins take away from this, that everybody is going to be tested in big and small ways. And like Abraham, we're going to fail and we're not going to fail and we're going to succeed. But there will be tests from the Lord. I love movies with tests in it. I love movies when people brilliantly pass the test, even though it doesn't make sense. One of my favorite depictions of this is from the original Men in Black. Ryan, what year? 96. Someone looked that up while I show the clip. Uh, this is the clip of um, Will Smith is being asked to come in and test whether or not he can be in this elite squad that works with aliens on Earth. It's, it's anyways, here it is. Uh, a lot of shooting in this scene, but I think it's funny. It makes me laugh. Serve to die. Well, she was the only one that actually seemed dangerous at the time, sir. How would you come to that conclusion? Well, first I was gonna pop this guy hanging from the street light, and then I realized, you know, he's just working out. Then I saw this, uh, snarling beast guy, and I noticed he had a tissue in his hand, I realized, you know, he's not snarling. He's sneezing. You know, ain't no real threat there. Then I saw a little Tiffany. I'm thinking, you know, eight-year-old white girl, middle of the ghetto, bunch of monsters, this time of night with quantum physics books. She's about eight years old. Those books are way too advanced for her. If you ask me, i say she's up to something. And to be honest, I'd appreciate it if you eased up off my back about it. Or do I owe her an apology? I love it, I love it. You're like, what, why would you shoot the little girl? And and you're like, that makes perfect sense. The movie never tells you if he passed the test or not, but he gets the job, that's all he said. (laughs) (laughs) so what our Jewish cousins want us to know from this text they've read it a lot longer than we did is that we're going to be tested we're going to be tested and it's not going to you're not going to sometimes see it coming you're not going to understand it you're not it's going to be difficult but tests are sure to come Uh, they see this text as proof that we will be tested in this life and we will succeed and we will fail just like Abraham and we just need to get our minds around this reality that tests are part of our faith but each success is supposed to bring us closer to, to Jesus, and each success will bring a greater challenge. What is the testing for? Big wall of text, but this is from James chapter 1. After Jesus has come, resurrected, uh, died and resurrected, he says, My brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. After all, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let this endurance complete complete its work in you, so that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking nothing. No one who is tested should say, God is tempting me. This is because God is not tempted by any form of evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So what James wants to point out is that God might bring you tests. Satan's the one who tempts. There is a difference. One of them is to make you grow, and one of them is to make you fall. But ultimately, James also highlights that tests are a part of our faith and they are to bring about good in our life. And in Abraham's story, uh, we are tested to learn and to hear and to respond to God. Text says, God tested Abraham and said to him, and Abraham replied, I am here, and God talked to him. I think in Abraham's story, one of the lessons we could take away is that our testing can produce in us A greater ability to hear and respond to God in our life. Just as Jesus says, and then I'm wrapping up this point. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Being able to hear and respond to God is part of our faith, and testing is one of the things that helps us to do that in a greater and greater way. Amen. What does God want us to feel in this text? There's a lot of feeling in this text, it's a wild text. Here's the second part of this story. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place at the distance. And Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will walk up there, worship, and then come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the entirely burned offering and laid it on his son Isaac's back. And he took the fire and the the knife in his hand. And the two of them walked on together. And Isaac, having been a part of many sacrifices says hey dad and abraham said i'm here son this beautiful picture of abraham responding to his child just as he responded to god i love it and isaac said hey there's there's fire and there's wood but there's no lamb for the entirely burned offering they arrived at the place god had described him and and abraham built an altar And there he arranged the wood on it and he tied up his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. But the Lord's messenger called out to Abraham from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, I'm here. The rabbis love that the angel had to call out to Abraham twice. That he's so faithful to what God has said to him that the angel has to interrupt him, has to stop him, has to go double above and beyond to get Abraham to stop. And Abraham responds to the angel just as he responded to God and his son. What does God want us to feel? Here's what I'm taking away from this. Taking away faith, hope, and love. These are called the theological virtues. Uh, You don't need to know that. There's not going to be a test later. But you've heard of the seven deadly sins. There are also seven correlating virtues or good characteristics. Four of them are called the cardinal virtues. They're called the the cardinal means hinge. Everything kind of hinges on these. But then the most important ones are called the theological virtues, which are called faith, hope, and love. And we get them from St. Paul. Genesis, I mean, Corinthians 13. Paul did not write Genesis Love trusts in all things, and it hopes for all things, and it endures for all things. Uh, now, faith, hope, and love remain these three things, and the greatest of these is love. You may have heard this if you've been to a wedding ever. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful wedding passage, but it is not meant to be a wedding passage. It's meant for us. We, we're just to love each other like this, and we're like, that's too hard, but we'll do it for our spouse, <laughs> but Paul really wants us to do it for one another. But speaking of weddings, it reminds me of this. I don't know if you've ever seen this show, but near the end, in season nine, Jim makes a bunch of bad decisions, and his marriage to Pam, if you have not seen it, they get married. The first <laughs> the first million seasons is about them, you know, like, slight glances at each other, and you're like, oh, I think they like each other. So I just ruined it for you. They 100% get married. And their marriage is on the rocks. Like, it's falling apart. Like, they, who knows what's going to happen. Jim started a whole other company in a whole other city that he's splitting. His time went, didn't tell his wife, left her home to raise the kids by herself. She went to New York. She find, figures it out. Their relationship, there's some diehards in here. I love this. <laughs> They're trying to make it work. They don't know how. There's this crux scene where, like, he finally just, like, just embraces her and she doesn't know what to do. And it's, I was going to show you the video clip, but honestly, it was too hard for me to watch. So I didn't want to make all of us watch it. And in the middle of this, she just doesn't, like, it just feels like one of those moments she can go the, either way. She could lean in towards her husband or she could lean away and things fall apart even more. And she remembers their wedding and she remembers the pastor quoting that line. The greatest of these is faith. I mean, the, the, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And it causes her to embrace. Hey, extra spoilers today. <laughs> things are fine. It works out in the end. <laughs> and that's what that passage is supposed to do. And I think that's what's being brought up in this Abraham passage. Is it really is to, uh, supposed to encourage us to be together to be unified i see faith hope, and love all over this passage with abraham i see love in the way that he loves his child i see love in the way that the fa- that the, that god the father talks about abraham this is your son your only son whom you love and i see abraham in such conflict because of his love for god and his love for his child i see his faith where Not only is he obedient, and not only is he going to pass this test, but he's going to pass it with flying colors. He gets up early in the morning, and he just goes as fast as he can, and he's splitting wood before the rooster crows. I see his faith, his obedience, his trust. But what the early Christians wanted to point out really was his hope. Faith, hope, and love. That there's these small glimpses of hope. In the middle of this passage, they're fleeting. They're barely there. But you see the old Abraham, well into his hundreds at this point, have a bit of hope. This passage gives us just small flashes of hope, but this is the theme the Christians picked up on. You see it in Abraham when he talks to his two servants, and he says, we're going to go up and we're going to worship you, stay here, and then we will come back to you. And you see it when Isaac and Abraham are talking. And Isaac says, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide a lamb himself, my son. This is the Hebrew. This is the literal Hebrew. Uh, The the rabbis saw a double entendre in there, a double meaning. God will provide a lamb himself, my son. The lamb is going to be my son. He's kind of letting his son know that things are a little... He, but also there's a bit of hope that God will provide. The early Christians saw a triple entendre in there, a triple meaning, that ultimately God will provide himself, God's son, Jesus. But we see these, these glimpses of hope in the midst of this horrible story. Later, Christians would write in our Bible, Hebrews 11, By faith Abraham offered Isaac when he was tested, the one who received the promises abraham was offering his only son and he figured so he's telling us what abraham thought he figured that god could even raise isaac from the dead or romans 4 says so abraham is our father in the eyes of god in whom he had faith the god who gives life to dead to the dead and calls things that don't exist into existence The early Christians read the story and they saw these flashes of hope. They thought it pointed to Jesus. They said that Abraham should be an example to us of faith, but ultimately in his hope because uh, he he held out hope that God was going to do something in the middle of this story. He believed that God could even raise someone from the dead. In Abraham, we see a picture of someone walking deeply in faith and hope and love. And God wants us to cultivate those same things in us. What does God want us to do? By the way, I'm coming to the end. If you have questions, feel free to start sending them. I know I've said a lot. This is one of those stories that should be 10 sermons. Let's finish our story. Abraham lifted the knife and was going to kill his son. You know, that really great part of that story where he was getting ready to just do it. And the messenger said, don't stretch out your hand against the young man and don't do anything to him. I now know that you revere God, and you didn't hold back your son, your only son, from me. Abraham looked up, and he saw a single ram caught in its horns, by its horns, in the dense underbrush. Abraham went over, took the ram, and offered it as an entirely burned offering instead of his son. It worked out. Hey, I'm like sweating. I don't know if it's just hot in here, or if it's just a story, (laughs) flies. Abraham named that place the Lord sees. That is the reason people today say, on this mountain, the Lord is seen. What does God want us to do with this? Or at least in this final part of the story, for me, what's talking to me is I think God wants us to embrace walking with God into the unseen. There's so much of Abraham's story, including this story, where Abraham has to walk with God into the unseen. Abraham named that place the Lord sees. Not that I see, the Lord sees. And the people took away from that, that it's on this place, it's in this place, that the Lord is seen. There's a seeing of the Lord, there's a knowing that the Lord sees. What does it say in the beginning of our story? After these events, God tested Abraham and said to him, "Abraham." and Abraham answered, I'm here. And God said, take your son to this place called Moriah. Moriah means the Lord sees, right, or seen by the Lord. And God says there on the mountain that I will show you. There's so much of Abraham's story here where Abraham just has to set off and trust that the Lord is taking him where the Lord wants him to be. Hebrews again tells us this, 11, this is after Jesus' time. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place and he went out without knowing where he was going And finally, the story we did last week. When God first calls Abraham, leave your land and your family and your father's household for the land that I will show you. So much of Abraham's story is learning to walk with God into the unseen. He has no idea where he's going. And he messed up a bunch. Remember, immediately he gets to this land and then leaves. He's like, "Ah, there's not very much food here. Like I resonate with that so much. I'm like, I, th- I better go to this party. And I'm like, there's not that much food here. Like, I just, <laughs> like, so I don't want to like, but you, you get it. Like, there's so much of his story that's just like, walk with God into the unseen. In fact, so much so that I'm convinced it really is the journey with God and not the destination. Like, this is even the theological concept of heaven. Like, we can say all kinds of things about what heaven's gonna be like, but ultimately, we don't know. What we do know is that we'll be with god that is going to be heaven whether or not it is on a cloud i don't think it is next to our dog who passed away and we're playing a harp i don't think that's the picture we get in the bible but ultimately what scripture wants us to know is that we are we'll be with god right when paul talks about dying he says i get to be with the lord not some place not some destination it's about closeness and proximity to god Abraham's journey teaches us so much. It's about walking to an unseen place, but we get to do it with God and by God and in faith that God knows and has a good plan for us and we can trust. You know, I love memes. It reminds me of this. It's a little cliche, but it does remind me of this. Some cliches are true. This is just some guy's tweet. He's like, It breaks my heart that pirates spend their whole lives following a map when the real treasure is the friendships they build along the way. (laughs) And I think that's hilarious. He could have made a, he should have made a pun, if I was right, a pun on ships, you know, going around in ships with a map when it's the friendships, you know, like there's a pun there, you are gonna have it. And again, I know that's super cliche, but I really, I, I just really think that that's one of the major lessons from Abraham's story, is that we, it's not about the map or the destination, the treasure is the closeness and the proximity to God that we get, we get so stuck on our visions and our directions and our missions that we miss oftentimes the real presence of God in this present place as we journey with God. Questions, comments, concerns, ideas, answers to questions that I asked. I did see some come in, but I don't know if I have an answer for it. The first text says PG&E rotating outage alert. That was from July 9th, Everybody, man, the air got sucked out of this room. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, it. I'm I'm speaking generalities, but he like almost always does it, like. Like when he tells these kings that his wife is his sister, he's like, he's not technically lying but he's also totally lying, and he's not trusting that God said, I have a plan for you, I have a promise for you, I'm going to make you a great nation, it's going to be through Sarah, you're going to have a child, and like, he just, he's like, that just cannot be, you know, and so like, he always moves forward with the plan, he always, he's like, we need to survive, Sarah, so can you just pull this lie with me, Or like the one where he's like, uh, God says, you need to circumcise yourself and you're going to have a child named Isaac. He does the circumcision, but he laughs at the idea that, so it always just feels like he, or again, the first one, leave your father's house. And it says, and he left just as the Lord told him, and he brought Lot with him. Like, just always feels like he's kind of obeying. But always has a card in his back pocket in case things go sideways. I don't know if I'm making, if I'm just repeating myself or I'm making myself clear. So yeah, it w- they, some people would read it and say that he failed. Some people would say that he's 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 being tricky. Um, yeah. And there's this great lesson in the Old Testament that when you do well at the end of your life, your whole life becomes redeemed. Even with David, we love David, but David is a total failure up until the last two years of his life. And he changes everything around and we're like, oh, the greatest king of all time. That's how powerful (laughs) redemption is, is that Abraham actually isn't all that faithful. In fact, those pagan kings seem to be more faithful than he is oftentimes. And yet he is so faithful in this last test that he becomes the father of faith. He becomes the epitome of faith. He is so redeemed by this final test that everything else gets read in the light of his final faithfulness. Yeah. know it's about Abraham. Yeah. Great question. And how that perception of Yeah. Uh, not great. Uh, there's no, we have no, um, no details about how, how Isaac reacts. Uh, That leads some people to speculate that maybe he was very little. I don't know what picture, what age he is in your mind. In some stories, he's nearly a grown man. In some stories, he's very young. Abraham's story, every time you flip a page, it feels like a decade passes, but it never says a decade passes. He's like 99, and then he's like 120, and then... So uh, maybe he didn't fight because he was young, but the text just doesn't say. He is very com- compliant and trusting. Isaac does not turn out to be a good character necessarily in the story. He follows suit in his father's. He is also going to tell a king that his wife, Rebecca, is, is his sister. It's a threefold story of dudes just being like, I, she's my sister. You can marry her if you want. Um, And it's actually rebecca which i'm i'm hoping to be able to craft a sermon on for the next time i preach uh it's rebecca that is the strong one she's actually the she is the the most faithful one in the story and isaac kind of takes a back seat and so there are some lineages that say abraham and sarah rebecca and isaac (laughs) jacob and because she really even though she's not abraham's offspring right even though she's not of the family of promise she really pushes the promise forward the most so isaac becomes very muted in the story um he's not as uh, forefront so i don't know how it doesn't says how it affects his relationship with his father or his uh his relationship with god but the outcome is that he doesn't play a huge significant role in in the rest of the story i imagine there's some trauma there. i'm guessing <laughs> actually too i'm going to get very mystical and my worship leaders i can feel them going like it's time to go i don't know if he's doing that but i feel (laughs) let's see if he gets upset about this (laughs) thanks man i'm feeling it now Um. Famously, I don't have the scripture on the screen. Famously and symbolically and metaphorically, Isaac never comes back down the mountain. So Isaac is saved. He is not killed uh, by the knife. They kill the ram instead. But the rest of the story is that Abraham comes down the mountain, doesn't mention Isaac at all. Abraham meets up with his two servants. Many rabbis think it's his other two children. I'll let you be the judge. And they go home together And, and, and Isaac never in the story is narrated as coming back down the mountain and a lot of people see that really there's a symbolic thing happening maybe it answers some of his uh, mutedness in the text or some of the trauma that he experienced um, but there's all uh, isaac is definitely a tragic figure in this thanks for asking so many questions i got more coming it is 100 11 o'clock so we will wrap this up <laughs> Did Lot ever do anything for Abraham? Not much. Mostly took away from him. Uh, I'm trying to remember. We know the rest of Lot's story. It is tragic. His wife gets turned into the pillar of salt. You know, something happens with his daughters where they believe, since they just saw those cities destroyed, they believe they're the last people on earth and that there are no husbands to be had. And so they, they get their father Lot drunk and they end up, trying to have babies by him and they do and it's, it's tragic. It's a tragic end to that story. Lot would have been better off left in Ur, I'm telling you. Oh, great. So someone wanted me to um, clarify. To fail when tempted is a fall, but to fail when tested is a dot, dot, dot. Great question. I said God tests us, but Satan tempts us. Um, and we see in Abraham's story that it is not uh, catastrophic to fail tests. Uh, and you will fail tests. I mean, that's just part of our nature. Um, and so, but failing a temptation is to give in to sin, and that is always catastrophic. That always has. And so um, I don't think that you, it's not quite the same level. I hope that answers the question. Thank you for the questions. You guys are doing great. thanks everyone faith hope and love together we're doing it um let's we're gonna move into our conclusion uh, my conclusion is that kurt Libby is preaching next week and we're very excited about that and i say that because he is also without us c- talking about this preaching on genesis but he's going to skip ahead two generations so um, he, I did Abraham, and then the next generation is Isaac and Rebecca, or Rebecca and Isaac. And he's going to be talking about Jacob's wrestle with God. And so we're getting a little bit out of order, but you're going to have the same themes. Um, but ultimately, here's what I think we, our takeaways are for today. And then we'll pray and move into a time of singing and moving into communion. I think with the, our head, God wants us to know that tests are going to happen. But God is giving them to us so that we can grow closer to God specifically in Abraham's case, so that we can learn to hear and respond to God, which I firmly believe should be a part of our relationship with Jesus. That isn't to say that if you're not hearing from God, something's wrong, but I'm just letting you know that as part of your faith journey, there is an expectation that you can, at times and in regular intervals, hear from Jesus. With our heart, God wants us to feel that these tests increase these greatest characteristics in us, faith, hope, and love. And lastly, what does God want us to do? But embrace walking into the unknown. Why did I go so fast? Embrace walking into the unseen with God because I think the priority is that we are walking with God and it's not the destination. And since we are walking into the unseen and the unknown, one of the ways that I think you could practice that this way, just in a small way, is just by practicing saying, I don't know I don't know and, and that's okay I don't know when you don't know don't make it false humility if you know say it <laughs> but if you don't know learn to be okay with them that. and that's gonna help us practice walking with See, let's pray father thank you for this story this heartbreaking harrowing beautifully tragic but ultimately hopeful and redeeming story We pray that we chew on it for the rest of this week and for the rest of our lives as we encounter your scripture so that you can encourage those characteristics in us that Abraham displayed, his great faith, his sincere love for you and for the people around him, and ultimately that bit of hope in those hard places. Even if it's a glimpse or a glitter, a shimmer of hope, help us to hold on to that. Because we know that even you can raise things from the dead and call things into existence that did not exist. Father, as we come now to this time of communion, to this time of this cup and this bread, would you meet us here as you have promised to do? would this began or continue that journey of growing closer to you of walking with you into the unseen and having that faith hope and love be transformed and transforming in us and we will give you praise and thanks table church would you pray with me the lord's prayer saying our father who is in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those